Welcome to the very first Conversations in Consciousness podcast with Asher Gray, um, available to you on the Conscious Creators platform. Conversations in Consciousness is a unique podcast. It's a uh, deep dive into the way of the Conscious Creator process that is actually disseminated and expanded upon by conscious insights. So this is, um, um, this is a kind of a unique perspective. Instead of me just, you know, systematically and linear, linearly going through the material from beginning to end, uh, I, I tune in. I actually pause the recording for a minute and I go through and I do five or 10 minutes of the mantras and the meditations to become clear. And then I sit and I wait for insights. And as I gain an insight, I act upon it and go to that specific part of the material. And then I do a reading on that, but I do an interactive reading between me, the guy sitting here, who I am, Asher Gray, and what I am, the big I, the I that's connected to the big G up in the you know, the everything. So that's connected to the all. So there is a direct extension of God consciousness, which emanates from the consciousness of being within. And this consciousness of being avails each self in eagle eye perspective, the 35,000 foot perspective, where we can see the material and we can see the patterns we're creating our life upon objectively. And this gives us the ability to evaluate what we're creating and determine whether it's serving us or whether it's not serving us. It gives us an opportunity to get current with ourselves. It gives us an opportunity to surrender our investment in any patterns of behavior or thought that undermine our purpose. And it should be stated here from the onset that the purpose of a conscious creator, a conscious creator's primary purpose is to support spiritual love and truth. And spiritual love and truth is a very um, enigmatic, uh, undefined thing. A lot of people are like, what does that mean? Now you're getting new agey on me. Uh, I don't really get what spiritual love and truth is. Do you want me to drop acid or start following the dead? And Oh, hold on. There's someone here. Uh, that was pretty interesting. So I was just uh, describing the way in which the format of this 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 particular podcast is going to unfold. And a knock at the door came. I'm over here at the Pathfinders Club, and it's all locked up. And lo and behold, it was an old friend that I haven't seen in probably over a year who was coming to the conscious creator meetings and was struggling with his addiction as we all do. And, um, you know, he just, uh, so happened to knock at the door. He saw my car and we got talking and he's sober today. And, uh, so there's some interesting energy there. And, and, uh, maybe later on he and his 92 year old friend who lives out in Flint Ridge, right around the corner from my friend who's doing a Thanksgiving party today. They might come over and eat with us, which would be beautiful. That's just how collective consciousness works, you know. Um, the fact that, he, you know, he's looking out for this older guy and this older guy lives over near my friends and that that's uh, I, that I have friends, that I have a community that's big enough to support 
a couple of folks they don't really know coming over and and uh, sharing, breaking bread with us on Thanksgiving. That's beautiful, right? So, and this is an individual who I had um, a fair amount of challenges setting boundaries with and uh, staying in my lane with. And so I'm going to, what I'm going to do when I, I disconnect right now and I get into the meditative space and get into alignment and then, you know, get, get the insight, have the insights granted to me, you know, this possibly could be part of the lesson today. I mean, the fact that he showed up and I remember our experience together and I remember me having an unrealistic expectation of him coming from I'll share a little bit about his past without, you know, putting him on front street, but he comes from a, you know, South South American country that was was ravaged by civil war. Saw a lot of trauma growing up as a little boy and um has had experienced a lot of death and a lot of sorrow and has leaned heavily on alcohol for a long time to self-medicate the effects of those trauma traumatic experiences. And um I had a strong intuition that he would be someone who would really benefit from the work that we're doing here in the way of the conscious creator. Because I know in my heart, I know and my spirit has taught me now, and I've totally surrendered to the fact that, you know, um, those traumatic experiences and my decisions that I made in response or more accurately, Reacting to those experiences, whether they're trauma or neglect, I reacted. And in that moment of react and I dis- reaction, I made some decisions and I decided something was a, was a specific way. I decided perhaps that I wasn't worthy of love. I decided perhaps that I was a victim. I decided that I was incapable of taking care of myself. I decided these things and they formed a belief system and they actually, you know, created the foundation upon which my particular trauma avatar, um, came to life. And, um, and the only person, the only power on the face of the planet that can go in and undo those decisions that I made as a small child, the only power that can go in and take my misguided trauma avatar by the hand and sit and sit sit him down and say, "Look, you only had limited information. You were a small child, and the decisions you made were inaccurate. You only had half the story. You were looking at these experiences with the people who were in your life through a limited perspective. You didn't have access to that." big, um, you know, objective, greater perspective than self, that thing that we can tap into here that can see things objectively, that can see, that can afford us the opportunity to see those experiences through a lens of love and truth rather than fear and control or shame or guilt or any of these other really toxic, devastating emotions that we tend to attach to experiences like that. And it's not that we just attach those emotions to those experiences, but we actually become addicted to 
reliving and refeeling those emotions because we associate those emotions with some twisted version of love. And so until we undo that knot, until we undo that association that we made, that dynamic that we created where we associate love and connection with like shame and guilt or loss or abandonment, we're going to be afraid of love. Our idea of love doesn't serve us. In fact, our idea of love, ironically, completely blocks us and disengages us and limits our ability to actually dance with and be in love. In Conscious Creators, we talk a lot about being in love. And being in love is not... Oh my God, I love you so much. You're my soulmate. It's this other person out here externally that we um, are sharing energy with. Well, being in love means that we're in alignment with this deeper fundamental essence within us. Um, before my friend came and knocked at the door, you know, we have God consciousness in every atom that creates this. And, you know, God consciousness is the all. And then the consciousness of being is our direct extension of that God consciousness, of that infinite spiritual love and truth within us. And uh, I think when I got broken off, uh, I was just starting to break down what spiritual love and truth is. And in Conscious Creators, we, we give it a really concrete set of fundamental needs that humans have. And if these needs are neglected or ignored or um, um, denied, well, people that do that consistently enough are going to be struggling with all kinds of addictions to people, places, and things. And those fundamental needs that, if we nurture the following fundamental needs, we're supporting and we are in alignment with spiritual love and truth. And those needs are security. And security just means the absence of threat or danger the absence of financial fear. So we have food in, on the table. There's enough money in the bank. We have money coming in to sustain our existence. There's no recognizable and observable threat or danger bearing down on us, such as an abusive partner, um, such as a um, attacker, you know, um, so it's the absence of threat and financial fear. It's the absence of financial fear. We have enough and there's no threats or dangers that are bearing down on us that we can presently observe, okay? If that is the case, then we have our need for security met and we can start to venture beyond that, okay? And within security, obviously, are those base needs that we've spoken about. And most of us know, you know, the need for shelter, the need for food and water, the need for procreation. Um, those needs are all wrapped up in security. But as we start to move beyond those basic needs, we start to touch upon these fundamental human needs. Okay. And the next need is the need for connection. And the need for connection um, manifests in secure and loving bonds that we have with other people. It come, manifests in a palatable and, and, and a genuine and authentic connection to that deeper part of us, that consciousness of being within. 
by maintaining that internal connection to that fundamental essence, that consciousness of being within us, we are maintaining a connection with our soulmate, our true soulmate, our one and only soulmate. You could look at it as a dimensional double. You could look at it as your guardian angel or your spirit or your soul. But there is a part of us beyond the me that's presently speaking and articulating his thoughts that is a direct extension of infinite love and truth, God's infinite love and truth. If you, if you choose to personify God as a person, but if you don't, you could just say it's spiritual love and truth. And spiritual love and truth has, 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 has its part within us, and that's the consciousness of being. And so that consciousness of being is nourished through our connection and our relationship with it. When we neglect the consciousness of being, it doesn't feel sad or get traumatized or go through a lot of the horrific, uh, heinous things that we experience when we're traumatized or neglected. It just is, it's just love and it's unconditional love. And it'll allow us just to tune it out and ignore it and neglect it, you know, our whole life if we want to. It doesn't take things personally. But when we start to recognize its presence within us, and then we start to acknowledge it, and then we start to consciously aim our attention, and we start to concentrate upon it, and we start to nurture that, and we start to build a connection to it, and then we start to gain insights from that connection, and then we start to act upon those insights and start to create a new life to pattern our lives in a different way because now we're tapped into a different perspective beyond self, an objective lens that can help us undo a lot of those decisions we made as children. So that need for connection is just so fundamental. And it starts with the connection to that deeper essence within us. And then that extends to connecting with other humans connecting to our creative art form, connecting to whatever our life's purpose is here in this incarnation. And the rest of the needs I'm going to kind of not get into as deeply because the need for connection is paramount because in conscious creators, what we recognize that we're up against is an attachment addiction. When we don't have the connection to that deeper part of ourselves, that fundamental essence, that consciousness of being, which is a direct extension of spiritual love and truth, when that's absent, when there's the absence of something essential such as this, what ends up happening is that we attach to external mechanisms. Well, we attach to mechanisms. Some of these mechanisms might look like drugs and alcohol. Some of these mechanisms might look like belief systems or narratives or stories or biases. Some of these mechanisms might look like other people, okay? But we're attaching and we're fixing or concentrating and obsessing on these mechanisms. And we're only doing this, these, it's, they, they become rituals of self-soothing. Whether we have a story that we're telling ourselves that's completely inaccurate and inauthentic and only valid in our own mind, but it keeps us feeling safe and certain in the world, feeling like, like we're actually living in reality when really this is just an extension of our trauma avatar. We become attached to the narrative. We become attached to the trauma avatar. The trauma avatar becomes attached to these drugs and alcohol and people and all these different dynamics. 
And all those attachments, that's that knot we're talking about. And we want to come in and we want to undo all that. We want to help the trauma-affected person to recognize all of this attachment addiction and turn the attention back to that fundamental essence, that love and truth within us, that part of us that's never been heard, it's never neglected us, it's never abandoned us. It's just a part of us that we turned away from it when we were really young. And we don't really often remember turning away from it because the external world needed all of our attention. The external world needed us to become our trauma avatar in order to relate with other trauma avatars. You could call the trauma, trauma avatar the ego as well. But, you know, the world that the egos before us had built, when we're born into that world, you know, we have to fall into a deep sleep. We have to become our trauma avatar. We have to don this persona or this character of unconsciousness in order to relate with these people. And what happens in there is we start practicing their sick and twisted versions of love and truth. And we turn away from that fundamental essence within us. Okay. And when we sever that connection or we dampen it or distort it in any way, we become incomplete. There's a, there's a lacking of something fundamental that we're no longer receiving. So that's why after security, the need for connection is always next. And then from there, we can branch out into community and intimacy, which are just different expressions of, uh, you know, uh, connection. They go into sexual expression, sex, physical expressions of love, all of that. And then we move on to, you know, Communication, how do we maintain those connections that we have within ourselves to spirit, with others, with community, with our creative projects? Well, it requires us to have a certain degree of communication skills. We have to be able to express our wants, needs, and desires um, adequately in order to set boundaries, to be safe, to maintain that, that base level of security to continue to unfold and expand and grow. Obviously, we need to express our unique connection to infinite love and truth through some sort of creative medium, whether it's being a scientist or a musician or an acrobat in the circus or a writer or a bricklayer or a woodcrafter. But there's some sort of physical, observable expression of our creative genius that needs to happen. And so that's that creative expression. And, uh, you know, we also have the need to... Um, so it's security, connection, community, intimacy, communication, creative expression, uh, progression, super duper duper important. The need to see ourselves evolving towards a more desired state of being or a more, you know, we're aiming at something and we can actually observe ourselves unfolding in that path. The need for progression is amazingly important. And we have the need for uh, reflection, which is the need to sit in quiet solitude with, uh, you know, that spiritual love and truth, that wisdom within us. And to be able to reflect on our path that we're creating and be able to make adjustments and, and act upon insights and be able to tweak what we're building little by little. So we don't set something in stone or set something in motion that becomes detrimental. So those are the fundamental needs. I know I left one out. I'm kind of... Uh, in a meditative headspace right now. I'm actually in consciousness right now. 
I didn't need to meditate today. I just was able to tap into it. But there's one fundamental need that I left out and omitted, and I'm aware of that. I don't know what it is. But altogether, there's nine fundamental human needs that human beings are um, often neglecting or not or not paying attention to. And a lot of times these needs, because they're only we can only really recognize them and nurture them after our need for security is met. Well, a lot of people can't get that baseline security met. They don't have, they have inadequate food and shelter. Uh, there are dangers present. There are threats. Um, there is the absence of, of financial resources. There's, there's the fundamental resources. And so that need for security is unmet. So all those other needs are just irrelevant. So if you're sitting here listening to this podcast today, and you have the opportunity to have your base need for security met. Now, now I'm not saying you're going to have a billion dollars in the bank or you're going to have five Benzos in the garage or you're going to have all this. That's, that's not security. But if you're living in the absence of threat and danger and financial fear, if you have enough today, if you're good enough, <laughs> if you're good enough, then you can start to venture out and start to consider these other needs and you can consider yourself a lucky, very fortunate human being on this Thanksgiving day. Because there's billions of people on the planet that don't have that opportunity. And just to let that sink in and just really settle in, even going back to my friend who just came to the door, he's just like trying to find a meal for his 92-year-old friend who doesn't have enough resources at 92 to be you know, to, to feed himself. <laughs> um, and, you know, so that his need for community and connection and creative expression and reflection is irrelevant. He's just trying to be full and, and survive today. So, all right. So then the way of the conscious creator is basically just saying, look, we are running on these, these patterns of survival. And they've been handed down like a pair of worn out loafers from one generation to the next. Some people call them generational causes. Some people call them karma. There's a lot of names for it, but we inherit the dysfunction of those before us. So as we're born into this world, we are conditioned and programmed to love and express and view the world in a way that's familiar to those who are indoctrinating us into this so and i'm not saying that happens across the board the same there's a gradient scale to the indoctrination that happens that just like there's a gradient scale of people who are consciously aware and there's a gradient scale of people who maintain some some degree of connection with that fundamental essence of love and truth within them but to a greater or lesser lesser extent we're all indoctrinated into survival mode. We call it instinct mode in conscious creators. And the instinct mode has a fundamental feature that um, makes it impossible to sustain a connection with that consciousness of being. In instinct mode, it, it requires fear, and it requires us to be in a perpetual state of fear. And once again, fear is also a gradient scale. So, you know, there's the obvious fear of someone tracking us down and mugging us or killing us or us losing our job or getting in a car crash. 
And then there's just the subtle, annoying, nagging fear of like not being enough or someone, you know, being socially rejected or running out of toilet paper or the gas be gaslight being on in our car. There's a million things that pull us out of center and can distort and compromise and sever our connection to that deeper essence within us. And that's when we become incomplete. And that's when we become attachment addicts. And so what we're doing in Conscious Creators is we're recognizing the patterns of survival. And we're saying, okay, these patterns are, of survival are based on decisions I made as a small child. They're inaccurate. They lend themselves to me being inauthentic. They lend themselves to me holding my breath, bracing up against experiences, and limiting my potential as a human being because of my addiction to certainty and my need to know what's going to be in front of me because I can't let go and I can't lean into the unknown because I associate the unknown with trauma and neglect and experiences that I just fundamentally will not allow myself to ever experience again. So that's another one of those fundamental uh, dynamics or associations that we make. So if we associate the unknown as being something potentially traumatic or threatening, well, then we're always going to strive and, and crave certainty and need order and need too much order to the extent that like we stunt our own evolutionary process. So all we're doing in Conscious Creators is recognizing that, you know, a fearful mind is a reactive mind that tends to brace up against our experiences and shrink back from the unknown. And a lot of times there's, there's just the biggest spiritual blessings are in the unknown. And if we have zero tolerance or zero capacity to recognize and embrace the unknown and embrace those opportunities for growth and expansion that exist and are often inherent within the unknown, well, then we're going to stay in our trauma avatar and we're going to become increasingly stagnant and we're going to stop progressing and we're going to start to need external mechanisms on a greater and greater scale and we're going to start to all addiction to all attachment addiction is, is us enslaving mechanisms. So when a mechanism gives us some degree of uh, relief from this prison that we put ourselves into, we will instantly associate that relief with the mechanism and we will enslave that mechanism, whether it's drugs and alcohol or a girlfriend or sex or gambling, or codependence, or OCD, whatever can help us to dissociate and disconnect from this persistent state of anxiety and unfulfillment, we will enslave. And so th th those all need to be undone. And so there's, we've identified 21 specific survival patterns in the way of the conscious creator that keep us locked in our trauma avatar and keep us unknowingly addicted to and enslaved by uh, fear. And when someone's in fear and their mind is reactive, they have zero connection to that fundamental essence within them and they are 
driven by this need for control. So, and this need for control manifests in two specific ways. First, the need for, to control others and the need for others to control us. But any person who's in fear is going to need control. And they're either going to need to control or need to be controlled. So this consciousness of fear and control is kind of embedded within the, the, the consciousness of the human organism. And it's kind of what we're all born into and indoctrinated into. And like I said, it's sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's subtle. Um, it's a definite gradient scale, but it's fear. Sometimes you call it anxiety or depression. But it's all connected to this reactive mindset that is disconnected from a fundamental essence, that spiritual love and truth that's within each and every human being born into this world. So uh, the only way to get reconnected to that was some degree of, um, uh, well, to be sustainably connected to that inner resource of spiritual love and truth, one needs to change their vibration and they need to increase their vibrational frequency beyond that of the trauma avatar. So they need to consistently redirect their attention upon the opposite of their trauma patterns. And so that's what we're doing here. And so there's 21 fulfillment mantras or uh, alignment and fulfillment mantras that we practice on a daily basis that help keep that vibrational frequency up and keep us focused on the desired outcome that we want. So we're actually utilizing the will to keep our mind concentrated upon these uh, habit patterns that we desire to bring into fruition. And uh, most people, when they begin this process, will find that their mind is very undisciplined and their mind is prone to go back towards the trauma avatar, whatever their patterns are, because they're familiar to them. So, uh, and we utilize these patterns and over time what we do is we lull the trauma patterns into a state of um, dormancy within our mind and we create new overriding patterns that sustain our vibration, the vibration that's necessary, that's needed for us to maintain that spiritual connection. And as long as we have that spiritual connection, we don't need to sell a billion widgets or have 10,000 girlfriends or blow everyone to kingdom come. Like all those uh, reactive, compulsive needs are arising because there's lacking of something fundamental within us and it can only be uh it's a it's a, a disconnection that can only be reconnected by us and the use of our will the proper use of our will all right so that's uh segment one that's a basic lowdown and over time what's happened here is my vibrational frequency has continued to increase and i've been concentrating on these new possibilities and i've stopped concentrating on what those potential threats could be and i'm more focused on and curious about these potential possibilities that exist so and in that way the trauma avatar uh, dies but it doesn't just die in a way that is traumatic to it because that it'll never let go. It's all it knows. So what it does is parts of it slowly pass away in moments over a period of time. And it's almost like going in the chrysalis and, you know, the trauma avatar is the, the caterpillar 
and the little parts of the caterpillar start to die off as new parts of the butterfly start to emerge. And so very, in a very concrete and practical and mystical and magical way, uh, we reemerge as conscious creators. Uh, and a conscious creator is someone who can sustain a um, intuitive connection to the insights of spiritual love and truth, which is embodied in the consciousness of their being. So anyway, okay, so that's a that's just some uh, conversation and consciousness about our process and my experience with it that's growing every day. Uh, I'm going to tune in now. I'm going to turn off for a second and I'm going to do a little bit of meditation and I'm going to see what specific part of the book I'm, in, I'm guided to share with you today. Thank you for listening. And we're back. All right, I'm going to walk you through the process in regards to um, how it works, how, how this process works in regards to one of the survival patterns I just mentioned. And it's actually the first pattern. So, <clears throat> and, you know, we're not, the way this process works, it's a set of measures that we take and in, or we, we, we utilize. And by doing so, we um, raise our vibration and we start to live in that desired possibility that we're um, first introducing to ourselves and becoming open to the possibility of manifesting. So, all right. Um, give us one sec. So I'm going to read this. So, Speaking on what we were talking about earlier, um, our this is direct from the book, okay? This is really beautiful. Our, our own umbilical cord is symbolic of the invisible connection between our soul and the massive spiritual resource that nurtures it. With a snip of the surgeon's scalpel and a breath of this world's dysfunctional air, we begin to accept madness as a substitution for truth. This creates an internal void of incompletion that leaves us susceptible to the trappings of attachment addiction. I think I've adequately articulated that process in, the, in part one. Our loving nature learns to fear. Our receptive mind becomes reactive. So a loving and open and receptive mind begins to close and begins to become reactive and becomes invested in seeing a dangerous, scary world, or invested in seeing a broken, damaged victim. A reactive mind is a fearful mind that tends to brace up against threats and shrink back from unfamiliar experiences. So the unknown becomes something that's threatening rather than something that's promising and has, has potential uh, magic in it. Out of a need for order and certainty, a fearful mind becomes obsessed with control. Fear and control twist our God-given desires into habitual patterns of obsession and compulsion. Fear and the need for control can also and does increase anxiety and depression. And I touched on the reasons why it does this. So anxiety and depression could just be looked upon on the gradient scale of fear 
it fits in instinctual fear, a fearful and reactive mind somewhere in that tone scale of human unconsciousness, anxiety and depression manifest as forms of fear, which are just symptomatic of a lack of connection to that fundamental essence within us, that spiritual love and truth that, that uh, of what we are, what we are is love and truth. And when we don't have adequate connection to what we are, who we are becomes insane and increasingly invested in sickness and insanity. All right. So, and I'm going to read that last line again, because I think it's worth doing so. Fear and control twist our God-given desires into habitual patterns of obsession and compulsion. Fear and control can and do increase anxiety and depression because the more that we're fearful, the more that we're needing control, the less connection we have to spiritual love and truth, which is the only power strong enough to undo that mess, that knot that we've created. Okay, the more that we attempt to control, the more miserable we become. Under these conditions, we shut ourselves off from love and truth. Literally, within ourselves, we disconnect from spiritual love and truth and we become attached to a debilitating narrative and self-defeating beliefs that fuel this trauma avatar. And we set forth to just recreate the trauma, learn version of love again and again and again until we either overdose or die or kill ourselves or, you know, kill ourselves in many different ways, whether it's by hanging ourselves or just manifesting cancer and being a victim. And I'm not saying that everyone who manifests cancer is trying to kill themselves. I'm saying this is a form of suicide. It's a slow, deliberate way to say, see, I'm out of here. And it's all based on us not knowing who we are. All right. So we fall prey to predictable routines. We often do the same thing day after day. And it's this lack of newness that causes endorphins, serotonin, and dopamine levels to diminish. This results in a consistent need for distraction and relief. This cycle perpetuates, this cycle of perpetual need depletes natural resources and squanders human potential. So if someone did have a baseline of internal connection, they wouldn't need, if they had a baseline of wholeness and joy internally, they wouldn't need to take such drastic measures to distract themselves and to change the way they felt. If they were joyous and whole internally, they would be able to utilize their genius and their God-given nature in order to manifest something that's truly incredible and inspired rather than spending all their money. For example, I need to make this business that sells 10 billion widgets so I make enough money so my wife who I'm attached to doesn't leave me and I can afford the new security cameras on my mansion so no one comes in and breaks in and takes some of my thing, which I've mistaken as being who I am. That's exhausting and it's happening everywhere. All right. So as life continues, we begin to fear all sorts of things. Yes, we fear being hurt or killed, but more often it's the threat of embarrassment, domination, or rejection that keeps us constrained. Before we know it, fear has had its way with us. We abandon our wholeness and joyous nature and begin to suffer the human condition. We endure unwanted, often traumatic experiences 
and create habitual patterns in response to those experiences. Those are those survival patterns that I spoke of in part one. In other words, we create survival patterns to help us avoid unwanted feelings and circumstances from ever happening again. Now, these are things that we experience and we tell ourselves, no one's ever going to make me feel like that again. I am unwilling to tolerate that emotion. I'm unwilling to feel like that again. And oftentimes what we do in that moment is we associate that particular thing with this thing that we will never tolerate. And we just cut ourselves off from that completely. And you could take an example as basic as a child on the playground. And the child's learning to climb up a rock wall. And the child gets almost to the top and then the child falls down and she sprains her ankle. And she's in a little boot for a couple of weeks. And she now has made the association that that rock wall created something in her that she must avoid and never do again. So she never gets back on the rock wall. She never creates the new memory. She doesn't create the new experience. The rock wall is now something to be avoided because she associates pain and lack of mobility with it. And it's just off the table now. And we do that basic decision-making process with all sorts of things, not, you know, from as little kids, big kids, we, we keep taking things off the table and, oh, I can't do that. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. And pretty soon, you know, we're pretty, we're in a pretty small little tight space there. All right. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to read that again. As life, uh, as, life, uh, as life continues, we begin fearing all sorts of things. Yes, we fear being hurt or killed, but more often it's the threat of embarrassment, domination, or rejection that keeps us constrained. Before we know it, fear has had its way with us. We abandon our joyous nature and begin to suffer the human condition. We endure unwanted, often traumatic experiences and create habitual patterns in response to those experiences. In other words, we create survival patterns to help us avoid unwanted feelings and circumstances that we will not and we swear we cannot ever allow ourselves to feel again or experience again. And when this happens, we become a focused almost entirely on avoiding things we don't want to experience. These survival patterns become habitual and when they do, they become automatic and that's when we become, we become the trauma avatar. And when we become the trauma avatar, we cut out all sorts of possibilities and we cut off any kind of intuitive connection to a conscious and creative mind or insights from that deeper spiritual loving part of ourselves. So, and then our, when our survival patterns become habitual, a habit pattern, they become habit patterns. So a habit pattern is a behavior trait or characteristic that's acquired through frequent repetition and psychological exposure. So someone tells me I'm an idiot a thousand times over the course of 10 years. Well, I start to believe that they're, I'm an idiot and I start to manifest someone who thinks they're stupid and I'll start to act in stupid ways. And another version of that would be, um, you know, the, the frequent repetition. So, uh, anything that's above three feet, I associate with falling down and spraining my ankle. So I am um, going to avoid anything that's above three feet. I'm not going to walk in it. I'm not going to crawl in it. It's scary. It's dangerous. And by the time we're 
you know, 60, we can't walk up a flight of stairs because it's above three feet. Okay, so we can identify three basic types of habit patterns. First, there's mental or thought patterns. There's emotional or feeling patterns. And finally, there's physical or action-oriented patterns. All habit patterns originate within the mind. Most elicit emotional and physical responses. For example, resentments often have an emotion attached to them. Interestingly enough, the word resent is derived from the French word, be French word meaning to feel again. Habitual thought invokes habitual emotional response. Habit patterns underlie an unconscious creator's attitude and outlook. These patterns may have served a purpose at one point, but today they block out our ability to realize our desired purpose, which is to fulfill those fundamental needs and to be joyous and whole internally. That's the only thing that's guaranteed here through the way of the conscious creator process is a sustained internal sense of wholeness and joy. If that's attractive to you and that's something you desire to experience, well, then this is the process for you. If that's not if that's not something that you desire right now, if you are looking for a process that's going to help you get a million benzos or sell all those widgets or amass a fortune or whatever that is, and I don't have any judgment on that, but this isn't the process that's going to do that. Now, that's not saying that once you become internally whole and joyous, that there's not going to be an opportunity from the you know from spiritual love and truth to go out and accrue a million dollars or a billion dollars or to create some sort of a platform that does something with a lot of money. But being driven to and gaining our sense of self-esteem from that empire that we build no, you first will build the internal empire. You will have that inner wholeness and joy. And you will have great gratitude and appreciation for that. And from that, then there's all kinds of things that open up. But they're not dependent upon, you know, this internal sense of wholeness and joy is not fleeting because it's not dependent on whether I get the car or the girl or the house. Those things all might materially manifest for us, but they're not that like our internal state doesn't depend on them. That's the difference with conscious creators. I'm not saying if you do conscious creators, you're going to be destitute and just we're dancing around in the streets, whole and joyous. That's not what we're saying here. All right. So, and I'm just going to go to, okay. Habit patterns underlie an unconscious creator's attitude and outlook, otherwise known as a perspective. So this perspective, this fearful and controlling perspective may have served us at one point, may have served a pretty significant purpose for us. But today, they block our ability to realize this desired purpose that we have now, to be fulfilled and have wholeness and joy. Can't have wholeness and joy. You can't have wholeness if you're spiritually out of alignment. The only way you can be internally whole and complete is if you invite this spiritual love and truth, this fundamental essence back into your um, consciousness, okay? Right now it's an exile for a lot of people. And they're just, uh, I call it self-imposed ignorant. Uh, but they're in denial of that part of themselves and they're in denial about a lot of things. But they have complete control over their experience and the trauma avatar is working for them. So until you hit a bottom with your trauma avatar, until you hit a bottom with spiritual love and truth, you know, um, 
There's no need to change anything. There's no desire. There's no curiosity of what's beyond this thing. It's still working for you. And it worked for me for a very long time. And it's still very alluring in moments, you know, because I have complete control over that experience and I know exactly what I'm going to get. It has the same sort of appeal and attractiveness as like uh, a childhood toy or a security blanket. And it always will. And when I'm reaching out into the unknown and I'm, I'm, I'm out there beyond any sort of intuitive guidance or support from that deeper essence part of myself and I start holding my breath and I start to become fearful, well, I'm moving too fast. I've severed or distorted that connection. And it's important to recognize that and then turn around and plug the outlet, plug the, plug the cord back into the outlet before I keep moving forward. Because if I move forward in that disconnected, dissociated state long enough, well, all those, that, 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 that attachment addiction is going to flare right up again. And I'm going to be attached to those mechanisms of addiction before I know it. All right. When we acknowledge, we recognize by word and or deed that we know and agree with something. Sometimes this acknowledgement is made begrudgingly after much self-inflicted suffering. Now, um, some of us can identify a habit pattern right away. Others of us can recognize the habit pattern only after wondering what is keeping a particular need unfulfilled. That's why it's always nice to start to, to, to contemplate and to consider these fundamental needs. Like, why don't I have true, meaningful, deep connections with the people in my life? Why don't I creatively express myself in a way that's truly meaningful for me? Why don't I get quiet and solitude and reflect and be able to um, commune with this deeper part of myself and gain insights from those moments? Why can't I recognize that I'm progressing along something, a path that, in a way that's meaningful for me? Um, when those things all break down and we don't have that, those basic, that basic structure of those needs that we're aiming towards, uh, things fall apart pretty quickly. All right. And, uh, so if we have a desire for connection and we're not able to have the meaningful connection, well, there's survival patterns that are in the way of that. And so we need to recognize those. We need to recognize that we have those patterns. We need to gain awareness of those patterns. And then we ourselves need to make the decision. You know what? This pattern doesn't serve me anymore. My desire to fulfill this fundamental need I have outweighs my need to control and to have certainty. And I've hit a bottom with that pattern and I'm now going to do something. I'm going to change. I'm making a decision in that moment and a commitment to aim at this new desired possibility and to stop indulging in the pattern that doesn't serve me. All right, so, and when we do that, we admit the truth. And we don't just admit it to ourselves and say, you know what, this pattern is lacking. It supports an idea of myself that doesn't serve me anymore. And we're actually in that moment surrendering to the insights of that deeper part of ourselves. We're actually surrendering to what we are. Who we are in the trauma avatar is surrendering to what we are as spiritual beings. And we're saying, you know what? I've hit a bottom with this. It's done. I need your help. I need your insights and I need your perspective. And I need your power in order to create new possibilities for myself.
And only we can reach out to that deeper part of ourselves and make that connection and start to cultivate that relationship. Um, so we admit, the, and, that, and in that way, we admit the truth. We admit the truth back inside of our heart and back within our mind. Now, we have had to deny that very same truth in order to live a lie. And the lie that we live is the lie of that trauma avatar that's attached to those narratives and beliefs. Okay. That's the lie. That's, and when we say live a lie, we just mean that's inauthentic. That's inauthentic. Okay. Um, so now we can acknowledge the lie and begin to live our, in our truth. And so we're acknowledging the lie and we're saying, you know, obviously me being a victim and unlovable and, uh, and incapable, uh, my deciding those things about myself has created some survival patterns and created this trauma avatar that I kind of use as a shield or as a, a buffer, a way of relating with the world in a way that I have complete control. Um, because I know myself, I know the narrative, I know what I've been through. It's all set in stone. So all I'm basically doing is moving through the, the world, teaching people how to love this limited, fragmented version of myself. And that's got a shelf life. And I've absolutely hit a bottom with it. I'm, it's so painful. And, 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 the, and what that bottom looks like is this growing awareness that never stops. So I can't even get into self-imposed denial or self-imposed ignorance. If I tried to step back into denial and try to get back in the trauma avatar right now, it would require so much drugs and so many distractions and so much whatever. And I would still know this is inadequate and it's all feeding something that it's all feeding this lie that I've told myself. And it's all feeding this need for me to have control because I'm fearful and I'm afraid. And I'm afraid of a lot of things but until I can acknowledge, well, I'm afraid that people are going to see who I think I am, or I'm afraid that the world's going to hurt me, whatever, until we can acknowledge that we're fearful and that our mind is reactive and that we are obsessed with control and those things don't work for us and we need help and we need spiritual love and truth in our lives, there's nothing much that can happen for us. And we just kind of kind of let people be who they are because, you know, expecting anything else is unrealistic. And as you know, Un, unexpressed or un unrealistic expectations are definitely resentments in the making. So we're going to stop there today. That was kind of beautiful. Um, this is such a powerful process. And we'll pick back up on the next um, conversations and consciousness with our purpose and kind of get into um, kind of get into a little bit of um, you know, living our purpose and bringing our creative will and our attitude and our outlook into alignment with this newfound purpose that has true depth and weight and has the um, uh, the power to keep a guy, person like me who has ADHD in every form imaginable diagnosed by doctors of that matrix of fear and control focused in a really unique way on cultivating this authentic character beyond the trauma avatar and cultivating new habit patterns, new desired patterns that override the trauma avatar and help me to integrate that spiritual love and truth, that fundamental essence, help me to integrate what I am, which is that, that spiritual love and truth into who I am.
And now I have this new consciously aligned kind of butterfly character of consciousness. I'm still moving through the world and I still have a personality, but the personality isn't fueled by like this need for external validation or to have you see me a certain way. I'm living life from the inside out. I'm actually internally integrated and I have this beautiful, unique personality that I'm bringing to the world and I'm sharing and I'm giving you love and I'm receiving love from you if you're open to it. So it's just a shift. I used to suck everything around me dry, wanting the people to give me energy. And now I just have tapped into this undepletable source of energy within and i'm just giving it and the more that i give it the more that i get so on this uh thanksgiving i just want to express extreme heartfelt gratitude for this process and everything that it's given me it's given me new life in a really profound and also organic authentic and practical way um, and i hope that, that you found some uh beautiful um tidbits of knowledge and understanding in this hour we've shared together. And if you want to reach out or if you have any questions, I'm always available at addressing the cause at gmail.com. That's a D D R E S S I N G the cause all one word at gmail.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.